I'll start by asking a question. Do we have to clean up before we come to God? Or if you know head shakes. So let me ask the next question. Is that how we live a lot of time? Do we feel unworthy so we have to do get ourselves in line before God will bless us? Do we feel like maybe before we get saved, we have to act a certain way for a certain amount of time for God to finally look down and approve of us? Do we feel like we're not deserving of a certain honor or position or maybe even a duty inside the church unless we can do you know X, Y, or Z and control ourselves in such way or something? I think most of us would answer no, right? Like we don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to God, but I think sometimes the challenge is many of us live that way. And so I want to talk about that for what will probably be a very short time this morning. Of course, this ties into something I discussed a few weeks ago, and that is the concept of grace. When we think that we have to be good enough for God to give us a blessing, when we think that we have to be good enough for God to give us an honor, when we think we have to be good enough for God to save us, when we think we have to be good enough for God to call us into work for Him, we cheapen the very fact of grace. A good definition for grace, it is the free, unmerited love and favor of God, the spring and source of all His benefits men receive from Him. Of course, that's by my favorite Christian dictionary, at least before it got changed into what it is today. The free, unmerited love and favor of God, the spring and source of all the benefits men receive of Him. Unmerited, that means we don't earn it. That's what makes it grace. If it was something we earned, as in merit, as in we do something well and therefore get something from it, then it wouldn't be grace. It would be merit. It'd be something we earn. But the reality is God loves us unconditionally, and He does so despite of all the things that we do or fail to do. That's what we want to talk about for just a minute this morning. I want to look at Galatians for just a moment, the first chapter. <coughs> Excuse me, Galatians chapter 1. just want to read a few verses. Here we see the Apostle Paul, who's giving, uh, writing in his letter to the Galatians some information about himself. He says, chapter 1, verse 13, For you have heard my conversion in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, and being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. 
Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up into Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Now I want to pause here and talk about what this means for just a minute and make some application to the Apostle Paul who we are looking at here. Paul was not chosen because he was such a great man. In fact, he tells us that he was doing very evil things. He was persecuting the church, and yet he was chosen by God's grace. Not because of his own works. In fact, we see here again, Paul violently was persecuting the church. We see in the book of Acts that he approved and supervised the murder and stoning of Stephen. And later in that book that he went and drug men and women and children out of their own homes to be stoned and to be persecuted and to be put into prison. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, was by all means a murderer. Now, if you could think of anyone who doesn't deserve God's mercy, that would be one, right? If you could think of somebody who would be better used by God, you might not list Paul very high up in the order, except for the fact that we know the rest of the story. But the point is, the beginning of the Apostle Paul's life was one that he says he was exceedingly zealous. He was well beyond even the most extreme persons in the Jewish faith. And despite all of that, God used him. And because of God's grace, he used him. It was not because Paul was good enough. It was not because Paul had lots of merit. It was not just because Paul appears to be a very intelligent person. But because God gave him grace to do that. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. And you see, I just want to take just a moment for us to understand that whenever we are with people who feel completely unworthy to either be saved by God or to be used by God, we ought to, yes, agree with them, but then be very quickly to tell them, about God's grace and that he can use a murderer to write a good portion of the New Testament, that he can use a murderer, someone who was zealously anti-God, although didn't know it at the time, to go at it to be the fundamental helper that spread the gospel to the Gentiles or us today. I've said this before. I want to make it plain again. I think I preached a whole sermon on it. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Let me say that again, because I think that's very important and relevant to what I'm trying to share with you today. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. This is counterintuitive to everything in our culture today. Our culture, especially in the United States, is very much a pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. It's very merit-oriented, or at least it used to be. That's kind of changing now. But the idea that that you're going to do well, that you're going to succeed in life because of what you can do independently, and if you do well, you're going to go and prosper. But the reality is, God doesn't look at the most 
uh, well-qualified person to call as a pastor, for example, he looks at someone who loves him. He looks at someone who's experienced his grace. And then he qualifies that person after the fact. He can do the same with those who teach Sunday school, with deacons, with a variety of people with different roles in the church. And he does that with us in our personal and everyday lives. We are the recipients and benefits of God's grace, not because we have earned it, but because it is grace. It is unearned. I've also mentioned multiple times we really like to celebrate and to some degree are right to do so all these people in the scriptures. All these accounts, all these true, I want to make sure I add that, historical accounts of all the things that have gone on that are recorded in the scripture, we like to look at those people and sometimes we raise them well above where they ought to be and miss the very point that the entire scripture is a story about God's faithfulness to us, not an account of our faithfulness to him. And when you realize that and begin to read, you'll see the failures mounting over and over and over again. Let me give you a couple of brief examples. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar and a deceiver. Moses himself, like Paul, was a murderer and had some type of speech impediment that kept him from speaking plainly. Gideon was afraid and hiding in a hole. Rahab was a prostitute. Timothy was too young. Elijah at one point was suicidal. Jonah ran away. Job was bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. Mary Magdalene had demons. Martha was a worrier. Zacchaeus was too short. Samson was a womanizer. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Philemon was a runaway slave. Matthew was a corrupt government official. Joseph was a show-off. And Lazarus, well, he was dead. And if that doesn't complete the spectrum of what we're talking about, you can even be dead and the power of God will use you in a mighty way. It had nothing to do with his own merit. Lazarus did not raise himself to life. It was the grace of God that brought him back. And all of these men and women that I had just listed and everyone who's found from cover to cover in this scripture, we are not praising them for who they are because they are so great and so learned and so good. We are praising God for what he did for and through them, not of their own accord. And so when we feel inadequate, the answer is yes, we are inadequate to the task, but God's grace gives us the power to move forward. As I mentioned, our culture is all about self, self-esteem, self-reliance, self, self, self. And we really have to ask ourselves, are you good enough for God to save you? No, not at all. 
And that desire and that drive of our culture that talks about self, all we want to do is not only say, well, just be yourself, whatever that is, there is no wrong answer. There's definitely wrong answers there. There's definitely wrong directions. There's things we ought not do, just like there are things we ought to do. And for all this focus on ourselves, instead of realizing that ourselves are sinful and in need of a saving God, we say, oh, you're okay, because you can be whatever and whoever you want to be. You will never be good enough for God to look down and say, you know what, I think I should save you. And bring you into a relationship with me. Because at the core of all of it, we're all liars and cheats and womanizers or the opposite for men, whatever that is. We're all murderers. We've done all these things. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is think about the things you've thought about. And the scripture says if you thought about it, it's the same as doing it. And so we realize we all stand before an almighty, all-perfect, all-good God, completely bankrupt of any virtue or any merit or anything that God would trade for us for salvation. And we have to understand that, that we come before him with absolutely nothing. You are not good enough to receive the eternal gift of God. You are not good enough to be a deacon. You are not good enough. I am not good enough to be a pastor. I don't have this role because I'm so good. I don't have this role because I'm so smart. I don't have this role because I went to school for it. I have this role because God gave it to me. And I have tried, although and failed many times, to study to show myself approved, to fulfill the thing that God has given me. But I will tell you this, beyond any amount of studying is the grace of God to do what he wants me to do. You are not good enough to be a Sunday school teacher. And some of you are really good teachers. But you understand what I'm saying when I say you're not good enough. Brothers and sisters, I dare say most of us aren't good enough to clean up this building, but for the grace of God. Let's consider some other things that Paul has told us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Nine through uh, ten, I believe. Nine and ten. The Apostle Paul understands his status when he says, "For I am the least of the apostles." <laughs> that I'm not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Let me just pause there. So here again, the Apostle Paul is telling us through the scriptures, the uh, scriptures that God ordained, that he considers himself least of all the apostles and is not even worthy of being called an apostle. Why? Because of what he did to the church of God. And then in verse 10, we get an amazing word. But... By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. 
And so here we see an amazing thing. Paul understands what we need to understand, that it is not about what we have done that's bad or what we have done that's good or anything in that spectrum, but instead it is holy and only but by the grace of God, by the unmerited favor and blessings that God gives us, by the power that God gives us that we don't deserve, by the blessings that He gives us that we do not deserve, He understands where any power that He has come from, it is from the grace of God to have just been saved and counted worthy. And it is by the grace of God that He has chosen to be an apostle and to be used by Him. I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Whose grace is it? It's God's grace. His grace is in God's holy grace. It's not Paul who's so gracious. He's not building himself up here. He's saying, no, it is God's grace. It is only by God's grace. And as a result of the fact that God saved him by grace and called him to do a work by grace, Paul is saying that I am laboring more than the rest. But once again, the grace of God, which is in me, He calls out and he explains, if there's any good in me, it is God. It is not myself. Paul understood how to be low and how to experience hardship. He understood how to be at the very top of a culture. We forget this sometimes. The the people that, that the Apostle Paul studied under, he may have been in line to be the high priest, the key person in all of Israel. He definitely was up there in the contending. And he gave it all up for what? For Jesus Christ. He gave up all kinds of money, all kinds of power, all kinds of status. He was willing to give it all up because the grace of God compelled him to do what God had called him to do. Would you give all that up? Or would you you negotiate? I'm going to take this for a side just for a second. I think we've mentioned this before. Surely at some point, in the scripture we read previously, Paul went away for a couple years by himself, him and God, to study, to get himself ready. And then he came back. Surely during that time, it must have crossed his mind, well, you see, God, if you just let me stay in this position, I'll I'll worship you in private. I'll keep quiet for a few years. And then when the high priest passes away and I get promoted, imagine what I could do for you then. No. How many times have we made that bargain? Oh, if I just get this job, imagine how I could serve you then. If I just get this position, if I could just have this, if this would happen, then then everyone would listen to me. Then I'd have great authority and great power. Then I could do this. God doesn't usually work that way. In fact, God often seems to not work that way. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying you can't rise to a position of authority and power, as it says in the book of, um, about Esther in the book of Ruth, for such a time as this, that God puts you in a position. But what I'm telling you is that's often illusions of grandeur on our part because we fail to see the grace that God has given us. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. See, we don't have to clean ourselves up before God uses us. 
Truth be told, we can't do that. Romans 7, 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. How many times do we think, well, if I can just get this right, then I'll be okay. How many people do you know, family or friends, who say, well, if I could just get my life together, then I go to church, but I'd be embarrassed to walk in there living the way I am now. See, you got that reversed. How many of you have said to God, well, as soon as I get this under control, then I will do this for you? See, again, you've got that backwards. Now, we must be very, very careful not to consider this some type of license for sin. God does not, uh, ex- um, God demands for us to live a life worthy of the calling that He has given us, and that calling is very high. And He gives us the tools to do that. And He understands that living in the body that we do, in the society that we do, that we are going to fail from time to time. He understands that, and he wants us to rise above that. So this is not a license to sin. We can't just always say, well, grace of God, it's okay. And then continue to do that and say, the grace of God, it's okay. And then continue and continue and continue to live in a lifestyle of the same sin. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm not speaking out of both sides of my mouth. What I want you to understand is God does not expect perfection for him to use you. We must respond to him. We must seek his help and his grace. But we must, at the same token, strive to live a better life worthy of the one who bled and died and rose again for us. Romans 5.20 explains this very clearly to us. Romans 5.20 Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did abound much more. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through Jesus Christ unto eternal life by Jesus our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, live any longer therein. And so, brothers and sisters, we have clearly this idea that because of the grace that we've been given, because of the forgiveness that we have, we should strive to no longer sin. But we have to understand at the same time that we will never reach that sinless state of perfection because we are born of man, because we are in this world. And therefore, if we always wait to somehow reach perfection to do what God tells us to do, we're going to be waiting a very long time. So stop trying to measure on the outside up to what God wants Instead, receive His grace and measure up on the inside. If we fill our lives with the Scripture, if we allow the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us and lead and guide us, our burden will be easier. But we too often try to carry all of it. And then we try to blame ourselves when we can't do it. And God knows we never could. We need to seek His life and His, seek His grace 
through our lives. I want to read one more passage to you. I'm going to read it out of a slightly different translation this morning. I'll tell you what it is when I get done, but I just want you to listen right now. But God being so very rich in mercy, because of his great and wonderful love with which he loved us, even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sins, he made us spiritually alive together with Christ. For by his grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. And he raised us up together with him when we believed and seated us with him in the heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. And he did this so that in the ages to come, he might clearly show the immeasurable and unsurpassing riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ by providing for our redemption. For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawn you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God, not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. For we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art created in Jesus Christ, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for the good works which God has prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set, so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he has prearranged and made ready for us. It's Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 from the Amplified Version. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. And in this we see, I think, I hope, I pray, the clarity with which I am trying to, to speak here today. It is because of God's grace that we are saved. It's completely undeserved. There is nothing I can ever do for God to look down and say, well, I'm going to save you. Other than my faith in him. It is his grace to do that. And after we have been saved, after we have received the pardon, having done nothing to earn it, we then are to continue on and to do work for him, to know him, to have a relationship with him. And once again, we stay in that state of grace where he loves me despite the times that I fail. Do we see how beautiful this is. And perhaps having heard it expressed that way in that particular translation helps us as we try to compare this idea that somehow we're going to earn it or deserve it. See, it ruins everything that God wants to give us when we think that way. And so in this message today, I think there's a clear call to all of us 
who aren't good enough, who haven't been cleaned up enough. Come and lay down that struggle at the feet of Jesus because you can't carry it anyway. Those who are here, those who are listening to me, who carry a burden that you cannot carry because you are trying to live up to a standard that you cannot possibly live up to, simply come to God, lay that down, and follow after Him. It really is that simple. It's really hard to do. But it's really that simple. We cannot live up to the standard that He wants. We are instead just to lay it down and love Him. And when we fall in love with Jesus, when we spend our time and our lives focused on Him and on what He wants us to do, all the rest of these things will either fade away or through His grace they will be met. For those of you who are trying to be good enough to be saved, you need to stop that because you never will. If you have in your mind one more thought of, well, maybe I'll pray enough next week and I'll get saved then. Maybe if I'm nicer, I'll do this. Maybe if I'm more obedient, I'll get God's approval. If you are waiting to try and be good enough for God to save you, then you also need to stop doing that immediately. Take that burden off and instead repent of your sins and seek God to save you however and whenever he chooses to. You will not earn your way into the kingdom of God. End of story. For those who are trying to overcome a sin, there's a few things I've learned in my life about myself. Anybody have ever tried to lose weight? <laughs> okay, everybody laughs, so I'll assume Yes. You know, it's really hard to do because we try to like eat less, but we don't replace it with something. It doesn't work very well sometimes. See, what we need to do is replace the not so great things we're eating with the better things. And that helps. If we try to completely remove something from our lives and don't put something in to fill that vacuum, we get what? We get hungry. That same principle, if you are struggling with a sin today, is, I think, also true in our lives. We can try and remove a sin in our lives, but if we don't replace it with the grace of God, and by that I mean a focus on Jesus Christ, we tend to go back to it because there's something empty inside of us. What that emptiness should be filled with is a love of God. And so if you are struggling with a particular sin that you cannot get over, then yes, absolutely, you should remove that from your life. But if you only remove it, you'll find yourself tempted to go back. You must instead replace it with something, and you ought to replace it with a love for Jesus Christ. And so if it has something to do with the amount of time you spend doing something, then simply replace that with reading the scriptures and prayer. If it has to do with something else that you're consuming, then consider consuming the scriptures. For those who are trying to be good enough because he has called you to do something, you should stop that as well. 
and labor more abundantly in His grace. Here's the point. Any and all who needs God's grace need to stop trying to live up to it to receive it, but simply look to Him who gives grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. The Hebrews letter tells us, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find what? Grace in our time of need. I would dare say all of us have some type of need in our lives. Some of us more than others. Some of us it's more complicated. Some of us it's long term. Some of it it's something that came up last week. But the thing is, we all need grace. Some of us need to be saved. Some of us need to submit to what God has told us to do. Some of us need to remove a sin from our lives. But let us follow after what the scripture says to come boldly unto the throne of grace, unto God himself, that we may obtain mercy and find the grace to help in our time of need. So what do you need this morning? I don't know the answer to that. I can't look inside your lives like God can. I told the young ones this morning, we can try and camouflage ourselves all we want to. What I didn't explain as much to them, because they're young, as I will to you, is we camouflage our emotions all the time, don't we? When was the last time someone asked you how you were doing and you told them the truth. You know, you can, you can do that here, right? This is the best place to do that. The point I'm trying to make is this. Very likely, we all need to come boldly before the throne of grace so that we can obtain mercy and find grace in whatever time of need that you're in. If you're lost, you need salvation. If you're stuck in a sin, you need a way out. If you're called to do something to serve God in some way, then you need to act. I don't know. Whatever it is that God wants you to do, be honest to Him. Come boldly, as the Scripture says, I'm just going to keep repeating it, before the throne of grace, unmerited favor, that's the throne, that we may obtain mercy, forgiveness, and find grace in whatever you need today. Big like salvation, small like a problem you have this week. Whatever it is, I invite you to come. I invite you to pray. I invite you to boldly seek the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and grace.